0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John speaks from the subject of sanctity of human life. And now, here is today's message.
1: We're going to pray and we're just going to dive on in this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you and praise you for every good and perfect gift, for every quality that you've exhibited to us, for every way that you have made yourself known to us. We just give you glory and honor and praise. We thank you for having the chance to worship you today. We thank you for this, for this worship team that comes in prepared every week to lead us into your presence. And I pray, God, that every week we take full advantage of the opportunity. Lord, today I pray that you would help us to to be willing to set aside our own opinions, to set aside even our own beliefs in order to line up with what your word says. Lord, I pray that you would give us your revelation today and give it to us fully so that we can put it into practice in our lives. Because at the end of the day, you don't want people who say they are your disciples. You want people who are your disciples. And we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's a day that was... um, established by President Ronald Reagan in 1984 to mark the 11th anniversary of the Supreme Court case Roe v. Wade. That was the 1973 case that established throughout the nation a woman's right to abortion. The pro-life movement picked up this day uh, and have promoted it every year since then as a way to uh, advance and promote their cause and to bring attention to the number of lives lost to abortion every year. We support the pro-life movement at Covenant Life through the incredible work of the Pregnancy Resource Center that serves Carroll and Harrelson and Hurd counties. Today, I don't know if you came through the lobby, but if you did, then you noticed that we are kicking off the baby bottle boomerang, which we have supported for years. Out in the lobby, you'll see a table full of uh, empty baby bottles. And I would encourage you to join me and my family in taking one of those bottles and filling it up with uh, as much money as it can hold and as you can afford. From spare change to $100 bills, they'll be happy to take it and count it. It is a fundraiser for the PRC to raise their operating budget so that they can continue to serve the young women of our community who are at risk of resorting to abortion because of an unplanned or unexpected or unwanted pregnancy. So once you fill that bottle up, just bring it back. As soon as you can, don't keep it more than two or three weeks. Bring it on back to us, and we'll take it to the PRC for you. We actually have several women who are part of our congregation who volunteer at the Pregnancy Resource Center uh, every week. Uh, we take our high school girls' small group. Uh, down to the, the PRC to help as well. They have a satellite office in Tallapoosa at the CCC. And so they are an incredible blessing to us and to our community. Uh, and between our regular monthly donation that we send and the Baby Bottle Boomerang, last year, this congregation gave over $1,500 to the Pregnancy Resource Center. And, and, I, and that's great news, right? And I would love to see that number double this year because they do incredible work for our church, for our, not just our church, but for our community. Now, you may be wondering, why does the church get involved in a, a political issue like abortion? And so, I want my response to you to it is very simple. As followers of Jesus and believers in His Word, this is not a political issue. This is a spiritual issue. The Bible has very clear teachings. Uh, about this issue and my purpose today is to outline those teachings and to challenge all of us to put them into practice and we're going to see not only why we believe abortion is a sin but more than that we're going to see how these biblical principles apply to far more than unborn babies so let's answer this question today why is human life sacred why is human life sacred? Because the word sanctity refers to being sacred. So what we're really asking is, what makes human life different from animal life? If God created everything, then isn't everything sacred? What makes humans different? And so to to find out the answer to that, or begin answering that, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. It says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Human life is sacred because we were created in the image of God himself. The Bible doesn't say that about any other creation. No animal, no plant, no star, no quasar, no galaxy. Human beings are unique in that we have the distinction out of all creation of being created in the image of God. That's the first step. Look at Genesis chapter two, Genesis two in verse seven, we're going to continue to find answers to that question. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Human life is sacred, not just because we're created in the image of God, but because the breath of God gave life, not to just our bodies, but to our souls and our spirits. Into no other created thing did God place a living soul. We are unique in all of creation because we have a soul. Animals don't have souls, at least not as far as scripture tells us. So we are different we are sacred. Now this is, this is a scripture that you might not have thought about in the context of the sanctity of human life. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Human life is sacred because Jesus Christ, the only son of God, shed his blood to redeem mankind back from Satan and forgive them of their sins. He didn't die for the animals. He died for us. And we believe that if only one person would have ever received the forgiveness of their sins and salvation for their souls, he would have died for that one. That means the value of humanity is exorbitantly high. If we were worth dying for, it should tell you how valuable and how sacred a human life is. See, the Bible says in Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? Everything in it belongs to him. All life, all of God's creation is important and is to be well stewarded and is to be watched over, is to be protected, but only human life reaches the level of sanctity. Only human life is sacred, Animals were not created in the image of God. They were not given souls by the breath of God. They were not redeemed by the seed of God. And they were not forgiven by the blood of the Son of God. There is a clear, sacred difference in Scripture between humans and every other form of life. So here's the next question that has to be answered. Once we establish why is human life sacred, then you have to ask the question, when does life begin? If human life is sacred, when does that human life begin? Psalm 139 begins to address this issue. The psalmist is crying out to the Lord, worshiping him, thanking him. He said, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, look at this, and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Amen. Amen. This is another reason why human life is sacred. God is involved in the formation of every human life, every human life. He knows them personally. He has a unique plan for each one of them. And notice that God isn't waiting for them to be born before he makes the plan. Even in the womb, as far as God's concerned, they are people. Let me show you some other examples. Jeremiah chapter 1. Verses four and five, the Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. He was already called to the office of the prophet before he was ever born. Is that not incredible? And he, all, he was already a person, He already had a personality, already had a personal plan uniquely designed by God just for him. And then Hebrews tells us that he's no respecter of persons. It's not like he gave Jeremiah a plan but excluded everybody else. If we see it in the word, we can can know that it's also his plan and his design for all of us. Look at one more in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. The the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God's heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. It's the person we know as John the Baptist. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. Look at this. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit and jumped for spiritual joy before he was even born. Look at verse 44. When I heard your greeting, the baby, this is Elizabeth, his mother, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. He wasn't startled. She didn't drink a Coke. It wasn't caffeine. This kid jumped for joy. If you're not human... How do you experience joy? It's clear from Scripture that babies are people before they're born, sacred human beings. So the question then becomes, at what point do they become humans? When do they take on that personhood that we described in the Scripture? Well, Roe versus Wade established that the the fetus, as they call it, has no rights under the law until, until it's viable. They talk about the viability test in regulating abortion. That that means that it has the ability to be sustained outside of the mother's womb. The problem with the viability test is that it's a moving target. There's nothing in particular that happens in the development of the baby that, that makes it viable. It's just a function of medical science being able to take care of a premature baby outside the womb. And I don't know if you've noticed, but medical science is continuing to advance very, very rapidly. And soon it will become possible for for them to do in vitro fertilization, to just join the mom's and the dad's cells and put it together in a lab and quite possibly never even have to implant it in the placenta. Let me ask you something. If that happened or when that happens, would that baby still be human? Of course it would. And when did he or she become human? From the moment those two cells got together. And that's true whether it's in a a womb or not. The fact of the matter is, biblically, logically, medically, biologically, that baby is a person from the moment of conception. Now, what are the implications of that? What what does that mean for us? John, what do we do with that? That means that no matter the circumstances of the conception, no matter what doctors may think or even know is going to be wrong with the child medically, that child is still a sacred creation of God. You say, John, but what about babies that that, that have medical issues? Let me show you Exodus chapter 4 and verse 11. Then Moses asked God, who makes a person's mouth? Excuse me, the Lord asked Moses, sorry, that's completely different. The Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or don't speak? Hear or don't hear? See or don't see? Is it not I, the Lord? Listen, a physical disability doesn't distract from the sanctity of that life. We assume God's plan for everybody is perfect health and whatever we refer to as normal. But look around. How many perfectly healthy people do you know? Don't we all have some issue at some level? And good grief, how many normal people do you know? If you have a health struggle that you were born with, maybe God didn't abandon you. Maybe he chose you. Maybe it's not your handicap. Maybe it's your opportunity. See, when we start determining who gets to live and who doesn't based on our own assumptions, we're in a ton of trouble. Only God knows what's best for all of us. Well, John, what about babies that are conceived as a result of a crime committed against the mother? Ending that baby's life will not end the trauma or lessen the pain that that woman is going through. In fact, it often adds to it. Why execute the innocent to punish the guilty? That baby's life is sacred too, not because of his or her daddy, but because of his or her father in heaven. And as painful and as delicate and as sensitive as that issue is, it does not change the truth of Scripture In regards to that baby, to abort a baby because of the circumstances of his or her conception, or because of potential or even confirmed medical issues, or because a baby was not in the plan right now, that cannot be supported biblically and just simply should not be an option for a believer. God is the only one qualified to determine who lives and who dies. And the life of that child supersedes any hardship, any pain, any circumstance, or any inconvenience. The only exception to that prohibition that we can support biblically would be when the continuation of the pregnancy endangers the life of the mother. In that instance, both parties are sacred to God. So the decision is is morally or scripturally neutral. The mother is free to decide for herself what's best in that situation. And yes, I have had to give that advice to a woman in that exact predicament. And she chose to keep her baby and trust God to keep her safe until delivery. And thank God, mother and child are both alive and well. See, this principle extends to the end-of-life decisions too. No person should get to determine when someone leaves this world. You say well, John, what about hospice? Is hospice is hospice okay? Hospice is an incredible blessing to families who have a who have an actively dying family member. But but hospice keeps people comfortable until they die. They don't do anything to cause their death to happen. And that's a that's a, that's a huge distinction. Well, what about ending life support or, or what we call pulling the plug? Well, life support is about sustaining life artificially. Unplugging it isn't ending the life. It's simply removing the artificial means of that support. They aren't causing death. They're just not trying to prevent the death through artificial means anymore. What I'm talking about is euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide. And it cannot be supported biblically. Human beings are sacred individuals... And only God gets to determine when they leave this earth. So here's the truth of the matter. Abortion and euthanasia are morally equivalent to murder because human beings are living souls created by his or her designer for a purpose. You say, well, John, that, that, this, this seems insensitive for you to say that. It seems harsh for you to say that. You, you should take into consideration that some of there may be women here who have had abortions. Listen, I do take that into consideration. And let me tell you something. I know know many women who have had abortions, and this is not news to them. They knew immediately after having an abortion that that baby was a living soul. Many of them, most of them, have nightmares or go through the grieving process and are riddled with guilt. So I I mean no disrespect whatsoever, and I mean them no harm, and and I don't want to hurt them in any way, but I promise you they can testify that this is the truth. And more than anybody else, they want this truth to be told so that no one else makes that choice. But can I tell you another biblical truth? We're all sinners. We are all sinners. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that if you have been angry with someone without a cause, that you're guilty of murder. So there's no judgment in this house. There's no, certainly no judgment in this pulpit for people who have had abortion. The, the good news of the gospel is, uh, is that when, when we come to Jesus and confess our sins and repent, when we accept that we're sinners and, and are determined to change and He forgives our sins, He, 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 he wipes them clean. He puts them in what he calls the sea of forgetfulness, never to hold them against us again. So there's no need for anyone in this place today to carry any guilt for any sin anymore, because Jesus died to forgive us and give us a brand new start. There is redemption in Jesus. There is restoration in Jesus. So if you've chosen abortion in the past, you can be forgiven of that today. If you've not surrendered your life to him, in, in, in just a few minutes when I call people to pray, then please come and surrender your life to him. It, it is, what you've done or what you've experienced will not prevent you from a relationship with Jesus Christ and eternal life if you come and confess and repent. And now let me, let me talk about the implications of the sanctity of human life uh, a little more beyond the scope of the unborn. Let me ask you some questions. If every child has the seed of the divine, is there an expiration date on that? Do they lose that at a certain age? Do you lose it based on your behavior or your criminal activity or your choices in life? Do you lose it based on what country you're from? Do, is there any point that a human being is no longer created in the image of God? Is there any point that a human being is no longer qualified for the blood of Jesus? Is there any point where any individual is too far removed for the love of God to reach him? It's not what the Word says. The reason so many in society push back against the church on the issue of abortion is that we are often hypocritical about how we apply that truth, the truth behind the stance that we take. Do you know some people have actually killed abortionists and patience in the name of the pro-life movement? They've assaulted women. They have berated them and belittled them when they're struggling with, a de- with this decision. Do you see the disconnect there? Do you see the hypocrisy there? That, that these people are, and I'm asking this, I'm asking this um, sarcastically, that they're so passionate about human life being sacred that they're willing to end a human life? Or they're gonna disrespect them or manhandle them into making a pro life decision? You see the hypocrisy there? And that isn't the only area of hypocrisy. Evangelicals are all about saving unborn babies, and, and but we rarely talk about how these moms are gonna take care of them once they're born. Are we as passionate about baby care and toddler care as we are about rescuing babies? Are we as passionate about helping families find resources? Who pays for the baby once he or she is born? The, the birth of a, of a divinely formed and crafted child is not the end of the story. It's the beginning. It's not that we shouldn't save babies. We absolutely, 100% should save the unborn babies and speak out for those who can't speak for themselves. But if the church is going to campaign to save the babies, we should also still be sticking around after the baby's born because it's not just a baby issue. It's a human issue. The evidence is indisputable that a baby born into poverty is many times more likely to be abused, mistreated, malnourished, neglected. Many of these children will be taken into foster care. And let's look at the other end of the life cycle. Why do we allow our nursing homes to mistreat the fragile and the weak? Where's the voice of the church crying out for these folks who were also created in the image of God and cannot speak for themselves? Let me show you James 1 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's it. That's the definition right there. We have a moral and spiritual and Christ-following obligation to address these issues to the extent that we can, and not just abortion. Who are our modern-day orphans? Well, our modern-day orphans, at least in this country, get taken into foster care. Seventy-five percent of the kids taken into foster care in Harrelson County have to be placed outside of Harrelson County, some three or four or five hours away from home and everything they know. If every church in Harrelson County just had one foster family, one family that would step up in every church in Harrelson County, and every kid could stay in their community. Now we've got six or seven or eight, but it's not enough. Because those kids are still leaving the, 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 the community. Their schools, their friends, their churches, their support systems. You say, but, but John, this is complicated. Man, this is, this is messy. This is inconvenient. Babies are cute and innocent. Some of these issues are politically charged. Some, some poor people take advantage when you try to help. I, I, don't, I just don't think God wants his people to get involved in this kind of stuff. Let's look at what the Word says. Matthew 25, the words of Jesus. Then the King will come to say on His right, come you who are blessed by my Father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Look, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger? In verse 38, or naked? In verse 39, this is the the principle. When when did we ever see you in sick uh, or in prison and visit you? Verse 40 is the, the principle, sorry. The king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, You were doing it to me. How can God associate Himself with the hungry and the sick and the poor and the prisoner? Because He made them in His own image. Every time God looks at these people, He sees Himself. And that's how we have to see Him. Proverbs 14 and 31. Those who oppress the poor Insult their maker, but helping the poor honors Him. If we say we love God, should we not respect and care for those He created in His image? Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. We have to speak up for those who have no voice and no influence and no clout. Look at Psalm 146 and nine. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and the widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. God cares about those who have been abandoned by the world. Should we not care about who, what God cares about? Should not our priorities reflect or mirror his priorities? I know this is is an uncomfortable truth, but it's still the truth. If children stay in poverty, they are more likely to be academically disadvantaged, more likely to be addicted to drugs and alcohol, more likely to wind up in jail, more likely to have children who are also going to be born into generational poverty. If all these people are created in the image of God, if they are sacred human lives, if we believe in the sanctity of that life, then where is the passion for helping the least of these? There are millions of people who are homeless or transient or living in situations that are unstable or inadequate or unsafe. Who protests for them? There are millions of women and children in slavery in this country and all around the world. There are more slaves in this world now than in any other time in human history. Economic slavery in sweatshops and enslaved through sex trafficking for pornography and prostitution. Children and teens being lured or just downright kidnapped for these industries. Where is the voice of the church crying out for those children of God. You see, the early church stepped into those kinds of situations and they helped. In the Roman Empire, when a deadly plague, a deadly and contagious plague started to sweep through the city of Rome, the Christians were the ones who took care of the sick and buried the dead. When everybody else was running away, the Christians stepped in. It's one of the main reasons that the Roman Empire came to accept and then to embrace Christianity. They saw the reverence of Christians for the sanctity of human life. Where is that today? Where are the Christians who take care of the meth addicts and the alcoholics and the HIV positive and the what and and, and whatever else, what other other scourges of medicine that we have in our in our. Country today? Where are the Christians who open facilities to care for those who were rescued from sex trafficking? Where are those? Listen, we can't get lost in the politics of these situations. I know some people think the government should assist those in these situations, others think it should be the private sector or nonprofits. That's a personal political decision. But what we can't lose as believers, what we can't lose in all of our discussions and debates and opinions is that there are real people hurting in our world. People who have value to God and should therefore have value to us. Don't lose the pain in all the politics, don't lose the suffering amid all the social media posts. If we say we believe in the sanctity of human life, it starts with the unborn. It extends to the passing of the sick and the elderly. But in between those two bookends, it should affect and include every human being that we come in contact with. I want to show you one last scripture, James chapter 2. James chapter 2. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Yes, indeed, it's good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Here's the royal law love your neighbor as yourself. Who said that? Jesus did. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin, you're guilty of breaking the law. Look at verse 13. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when He judges you. We don't get to pick and choose who we value or who we help or who we minister to or who we love. They don't matter more if they look like us Or vote like us. They don't matter more if they have the same interests as us, or the same profession, or come from the same place, or have the same language, or have the same sexual orientation, or any of the other ways that we divide ourselves. There is sanctity in human life, period. There is value. There is infinite, eternal value in human life and our actions and our attitudes have got to reflect that truth. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. In just a moment the praise team's going to come and they're going to sing one more worship song. This altar is going to be open for you to pray about this or anything else. No matter what I preach every week this time to pray is a time for you to pray about whatever is going on in your life. So don't think that because you respond, that you respond to just the message that I preach. You can be praying about anything in your life, and we'll help you. That's why we're here. There is sacred value in you. God cares about you and what's going on in your life, and so do we. So if you want somebody to help you pray about something, come on and let's pray. But I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit, as we do every week, the Holy Spirit will search our hearts and reveal to us truth about our attitudes and our actions. Because if the church, who say they believe in this word right here, if the church would rise up and actually put into practice what we say we believe, abortions would go down the drain poverty would go away if we just do what Jesus told us to do.
0: We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.